Oh, my goodness. So, if you weren't here last week, I have to explain to you what I'm about to do. Pete Ramos is a member of our church, and he is a accomplished master carpenter. And he did uh, a major job at my house and didn't charge me anything. And then he snuck a contract in on us last week uh, that he does want payment, but it's not monetary payment. Uh, the contract said that I must do two things. And so that's why I'm about to do this. One is that I must give four good reasons uh, why I'm glad that the Chargers have left town. Because he is, he is a diehard Bears fan. So, um, honestly, that won't be hard at all. The other requirement was that I give four reasons why I am so thankful that Pastor Mark Cowpersmith, who is a lawyer who helped him write the contract, that's how he got his little piece in there. Four reasons why I am so thankful that he is part of our leadership team, which both of these are very easy to do. So let me get these out of the way so we can get into lesser important things like the Word of God. Okay, ready? Number one, why, do, why am I thankful the Chargers have left town? Uh, because they have, I've, I've, I moved here in 1984. And so I followed them for 30 years. I quit a few years ago. Why? Because number one, they have, all they do is overpromise and under deliver. And all, along those lines come my three sub points because you have to make a sermon out of it because I'm a pastor under that overarching theme that they overpromise and under deliver. Um, in 30 years of me watching them, they only showed up to the Super Bowl one time, and that's all they did was show up. I think they got beat 49 to 15 or something. 46, yeah. Number three is when I when I when I started when I started to slowly stop. Look, I watched every game for almost 30 years. I mean, religiously, I would record it while we were at church here, and I'd go home and watch. Ask my wife. I'd sit there and watch it and call her in and she had no interest whatsoever but i keep calling her and watch this look at this watch this and what happened was they would always have a lead in the fourth quarter and then they would always lose and so i started watching only the last half of the fourth quarter to see how they would lose i remember my son elliot walking through the living room one time and i said elliot stop watch the last five minutes of this game with me he's like why i said the chargers are ahead but they're going to lose but I'm not sure how they're going to do it this week. They always do it in some unique way you've never seen before. So he sat down to humor me, and sure enough, it happened. He looked at me like, oh, my gosh. The very next Sunday, the end of the fourth quarter, three minutes left. Ellie's walking through. Now I called him down. Ellie, come here. What? I said, there's three minutes left, and they, they have a 15-point lead. They're going to lose. I just don't know how they're going to pull this one off. And sure enough, we sat down, and it was the most unbelievable loss you could imagine. He looked at me. I said, my wife, who's a scientist, she said to me after like a whole season of this, she actually said, it would be an interesting sociological study to find out what is happening with this team that they can lose fourth quarter leads consistently. I mean, she actually wants to investigate it. Uh, and my last reason is because I could not. Now, LaDainian Tomlinson obviously is retired, but the hardest part of me watching the Chargers was having one of the greatest running backs in the history of the world not have a front line. So he spent the rest of the last part of his career in the backfield 
when he's actually supposed to be running downfield. And that was frustrating. Okay, moving on to the next most important thing, which is Pastor Mark Halpersmith. The first reason that I am so thankful, and we are all so thankful, that Pastor Mark joined our church, what, 17, 16 years ago, 17 years ago? Something like that. And this is the biggest reason, and I'm sincere about this. His wife, Shelly. Thank God for Shelly, who's at her her mom's 90th birthday party in Canada right now. The second reason is Shelly. No, I'm kidding. The, (laughs) The second reason is because up until recently, it has been wonderful to have once every month a throwback Sunday to the 60s rock, 60s and 70s rock. I mean, it's like watching VH1, right? You know, the, like behind the music. And all of a sudden we've got uh, Ozzy Osbourne. We have, we have uh, Crosby, Souls, Nash & Young. Yeah. It's just the Eagles. When Mark would be leading worship, you just knew, man, get out your Bix and the last two, uh, sincerely is one is because, um, Mark has made me a better pastor and a better person because of his friendship and because he is so annoying. The scripture that says iron sharpens iron as does a man, the countenance of his friend. Oh, dear God. (laughs) It has been a great friendship and a great partnership, and you should be thankful to him because I'm a much better pastor than I would be for you if it wasn't for Mark. And finally, uh, and I would say the most important, is Mark has kept us on the cutting edge of the Holy Spirit as a spiritual community. And I want to thank him for his prophetic gift and his passion for the Holy Spirit because the stories he tells and the workshops he does would not be happening and we would not be who we are without Pastor Mark. Amen? Um, I also want to say, Hope, you were, uh, said that we should announce something about Ann today, right? Okay, so can you come up here real quick because... I want you to give the details on this. And I, we have, is that handheld mic available? Yeah. Okay, you're just coming up. Um, she's just going to come right up here. This is my beautiful bride. For those of you don't know, my wife, Hope. And you got nothing. Let's try it again. This is my wife, Hope. You want to stand right there? Good morning. If you guys aren't on the email list, the um, GPC Family Needs Connection, you may not know about this. But Miss Ann, who is sitting right here in the middle... Her family is going through a really, really challenging trial right now. She has been undergoing treatment for cancer. I think this is the first week I've seen her without her mask on. Her neutrophil count is finally high enough. And while she was undergoing uh, treatment for cancer, her husband, Bruce, uh, started undergoing treatment for cancer. Then he fell and broke his back and is now paralyzed from the neck down. So Miss Ann, who is... um, struggling to drive because of some eye issues from the chemo, needs some help driving back and forth her, uh, the, to go visit her husband at the hospital. It's only 10 minutes away. 
There are some um, specific time slots for physical therapy she would like to be able to see him, and also just some general visitation. Um, it's just it doesn't look like it's going to be imminent that he's going to be released from the hospital. So she really, really could use some help. She has a family that's been really jumping in there and helping, but they're they're educators, and when school starts back, their availability is going to be really, really limited. So um, if you don't have the information of how to contact her, you can either ask her, you can ask Shell, you can ask me, you can ask, I don't see the Williamses in church today. They've got the information for the contact for her. But, um, you know, I always like to say that as Christians, we do a lot of Christian things. We have fish on our cars. We listen to Christian music. We go to conferences. We listen to tapes. But the scripture is really clear about when our Christianity becomes real. And it's situations like this where it says, you know, taking care of the orphan and the widow and the poor and the sick. And this is, this is a, a, a real tangible way to walk out our Christianity. So I'd really encourage you to hook up with Miss Ann and give her some help because um, if you can imagine what they're going through right now, it's, it's pretty challenging. Thank you. Amen. So we pray for them. Father, we pray that you raise her husband up from that uh, sick bed. We thank you that his toe, he's been able to wiggle his toe, and they said that he would never walk again or feel. And so, Lord, we pray right now for the kingdom of God to come and your will to be done. And that hospital bed, that he would feel the energy of the Holy Spirit who has no problem healing anything at any time. So we as the church come together in faith. And we pray for miraculous healing for Anne and her husband. And that he will walk and they will be cancer free. And they will have a powerful testimony to your glory. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Praise God. All right. So. We're in the book of John. So let's jump into the book of John. We're in chapter 2. We open your Bibles, get out your Bible apps and your phone, and let's dig into the Word of God this morning. John chapter 2. There are three main portions to John chapter 2. We're going through the book of John as a congregation. So jump into the book, read it, read it, read it. Let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you all over again. There's three main uh, points in the book of John that I want to capitalize on today. So we're going to read a chunk, then I'm going to talk about it, read a chunk, talk about it, read a chunk, talk about it. We're going to move all the way through chapter 2 today. So John chapter 2. On the third day, verse 1, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, he wasn't back talking his mom. Okay, that's that was a um, a respectful title to call her woman like that. What is what is your what does that have to do with me? Uh, why do you want me to provide wine? My hour is not yet come. He had he had not done any miracles up to this point in his ministry. He was just breaking on the scene. But his mother knew she had a special child. <laughs> his mother said to his servants, I love this. Whatever he says to you, do it. We could live on that verse for the rest of our lives and be successful Christians. Whatever Jesus says to you, what? Do it. Do it. That's the Christian mantra. I was just in band practice this morning and Josh turned around and said to Mark, who was on the uh, lead, okay, when, you do, when I do this, I want you to do this. And Mark said, okay. And he said, when I do this, you do this. He said, okay. And he said, when I do this, you do this. He said, okay. And I said out loud, oh, God, if the whole earth could run like that. 
parents, children to parents. Do this. Okay. Clean your room. Okay. Don't do that. Okay. Could you imagine at work, the boss do this, do that, right? In church, I know that's stretch, but could you imagine if we just said, okay, yes, okay. And we just followed the leader. There'd be no chaos except for in certain areas of the world where they have. uh, Yeah. So we'll move on from that point because you shouldn't say yes to everybody. Anyway, I digress. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said, draw, out, draw some out now, take it to the master of the feast, and they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where to come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to them, every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now, which completely obliterates some brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who can teach better than I can. And yet, because they have such an aversion to the concept of alcohol, that they say that what Jesus turned the water into was not wine, but grape juice. That's actually taught. And yet when, when the master who is of, of the ceremony who is responsible for the success of the ceremony and everybody has drunk so much wine that has gone, you usually get out of the two-buck chuck at that point, right? But the master of the ceremony says, why have you saved the best wine? This is a really important point. The best wine for last. So clearly the master of the ceremony, who is Jewish, that knows how to throw a seven-day wedding party, knows the difference between good wine and bad wine and, oh, by the way, grape juice. This beginning of signs, oh, yeah, this beginning of signs, Jesus did in Cain of Galilee and then manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. What is this miracle about? What is the first miracle that Jesus did? The first miracle that Jesus did in his ministry was to amplify, illuminate, and show us our deep and desperate need for the Holy Spirit. Wine in the scriptures in the New Testament represent the Holy Spirit. They don't pour old wine into new wineskins, or new wine into old wineskins, or the wineskins burst. The wine represents the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. The number, of, the number six represents man in the Bible. How many water pots were there? You didn't read it, did you? You didn't follow me. There were six water pots. The water pots, the clay pots, the Bible says we are clay vessels, earthen vessels. Those water pots... For Jesus represented you and I. And some of you are cracked pots. And six is the number of man. So, the, so these water pots, which were for purification. It was a religious ritual for purification. So they washed their hands, but it's not just for the outside of your hands to be washed. They, they were so steeped in religion, they believed that you have to wash your hands, which purifies your soul before you can go on with the religious ceremonies. Jesus uses the, the water pots, the sign of you and I. And the first thing he does, he says, fill them up to the brim. Why? Because Jesus is saying right off the bat, 
You and I must be filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit every day of our lives. Though you can't worship God without the Holy Spirit. You can't be God-centered without the Holy Spirit. You can't even know who Jesus is without the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, the first thing God does is fills up your water pot with the Holy Spirit to the brim. The Bible says that when you give your life to Jesus, he then breathes his spirit of his son into you. And you all of a sudden cry out, Abba, Father. Just like in the garden, when God created Adam and Eve out of the dirt. That's all this is. We push it around, we pump it up, and we put makeup on it. And we, we try to make this clay look as good as you can. And the older you get, it starts to sag, and you get the wrinkles, and gravity starts sucking it down. And we try to cut some off, and we zip it up, and we try to get It's just clay. Okay, it's just clay. What's important is what's on the inside of the clay. And so God makes this clay. He must have made the woman's clay look really nice because, I mean, Adam called her, whoa, man. Anyway, so he shapes the man and the woman. And then he, what's the, what did he do with him? Says he breathed the breath of life into him. The Holy Spirit. So the first thing Jesus does, the first miracle, is to fill up men and women with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died and rose from the dead and walked through the wall into the room where his disciples were, what's the first thing he did? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them. And they were filled with the Spirit. That's why the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine. You can drink wine, I believe. I think it's biblical. But not getting drunk. Christians who get drunk just are trading in the Holy Spirit for a lesser substance all over again. Hello? Hello? The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. That's what you and I were created for. It's to be a vessel, a container of the Holy Spirit. Can everybody say amen? So that's the first main point out of John chapter 2. I want to say in closing that first point, get on your knees and ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit every day. You and I were not designed to live life in our own power. It doesn't work, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And your father will do it just like that because he knows you and I, his children, need to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Secondly, let's move on to verse 13. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them this to them, and they believed the Scriptures, and the word was Jesus. 
had said. How many times have we said that Christianity is not a religion, but a relationship in this church? These religious leaders did not know God. And yet they were the religious leaders of the day. Jesus called them the blind leading the blind. Their faith, their religion, their knowledge of God was their religion, their structure, their systems, their rules, not God. In fact, I want you to go back to John chapter 1 with me, and I want to reemphasize a point that John the Baptist said about Jesus to the religious rulers of their day. When they were asking John the Baptist, who are you? Just like they were asking Jesus, who are you? To do these things. They were saying to John the Baptist, who are you? And in John chapter 1, verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. Isn't that amazing? Here they are, the religious leaders of the day, saying, follow us, for we know God. And then God comes and lives in their town. Speaks to them face to face. Looks them in the eyes. And they missed him. And you know what else is kind of interesting? Just a side note. John the Baptist had a revelation of who Jesus was. Jesus was John's cousin. John was born six months ahead of Jesus. They grew up together. And God told John the Baptist, the person that you see the Spirit descending upon like a dove would... That is my son. And it wasn't until John the Baptist saw the Spirit land upon his cousin Jesus that he knew that Jesus was the Son of God. It takes the Holy Spirit even to know Jesus, even when he's your cousin. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You and I can go to church our entire lives and not know Jesus. If we do not have the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can know Jesus is by receiving him as your Savior. And then God breathes his spirit into you and I. And all of a sudden your eyes are open. You're like, oh my gosh, God, you're real. Jesus, I believe in you. That's the Holy Spirit producing understanding and revelation of God. I remember I was driving with my, well, a relative who is a professor, a tenured professor, a psychologist sociologist, psycho- psychologist. And I was only, I don't know, a few months old in the Lord. And we're driving down the street together. And he said to me, I just can't understand the Bible. I mean, I've read it and I don't understand what it means to be born again. And I was three months old in the Lord and I'm driving. I'm thinking, that's the easiest thing in the world to understand. And it was amazing to me that I'm only three months old in the Lord do not have a college degree, and I'm standing next to a guy with a Ph.D., and I, I know more about God than he does. What was the difference? How could be being born again be such a simple concept to me, but so confusing to somebody who is so highly educated? Because the kingdom of God is revealed not through the natural mind, but through the mind of God, which comes through the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen? That's why the Bible says, I hate it when people quote this verse to believers. Eye has not seen, 
ear has not heard, nor does it enter the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And that scripture is preached from pulpits. And, and Christians go, amen, amen. We've even had worship leaders write songs using that verse. They tried to sing it in this church, and I told them, you cannot. Why? Because the next word in the scriptures is a conjunction. But. Everybody say but. It's one of the biggest buts in the Bible. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, speaking of unregenerate man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Hello. Man, this, this, is, this is why teachers have the greater judgment. We are to open up the kingdom to God's people, not shut it. So they had built a religious system and Jesus came and they, he came into his dad's house into church and what he saw, what they had done to his father's house. You see, when you don't have faith, when you don't know God, you don't walk with God, you either turn to atheism or agnosticism because you just don't know or religion. I'm going to say it again. When you don't have a revelation by the Holy Spirit of who Jesus is, the only options you have left are religion, which is every, every human being has a desire to reach God. And so out of that desire, we create these systems to reach God, which are all human works, things we do. See, Christianity, like I said to my gal cut my hair the other day, yesterday, I was witnessing to her and I said, Christianity is not what we do for God. It's what God has already done for us. Christianity is not what we do for God. It's what God has already done for us. Out of that free gift of salvation, we explode with giving and praise and service and kindness. And His Spirit is in us flowing through us to be the salt and light of the world. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you have not received Christ, all the only options left are religion, which is we build a system to God, buying a stairway to heaven, knock, knock, knocking on heaven doors, bombarding the gates of heaven. I'm not doing any of that. I'm, I'm right at the throne with, with you. He says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly right up, to, right up into dad's chair. We're family. We're the family of God. We are sons and daughters of God. And it's God's good pleasure to give us everything he has. He didn't create it for himself. He created it for you and I. And Satan ripped us off. So either religion or agnosticism, a question mark, I don't know, or atheism. But you can't say my father's house. So Jesus walks, goes into church and he sees not only had they turned his house into something other than it was supposed to be, they were manipulating, controlling, and um, shaming and oppressing God's people in the name of God. Whew. What would you do if you, went, if you were at home and somebody came into your house and started mishandling your children? 
Do you think you might be a little upset? I remember one time I was watching, I was watching, a, I was by myself, I had nothing to do. I went and watched an animated movie. I went to the movies, it was like Bambi or something, a remake of Bambi. And I'm just watching it. And there was a little girl behind me, like a seven-year-old girl with her grandma. And she was telling her everything that was about to happen. It was ruining the movie for me. So I did one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my entire life. I decided to turn around and ask her if she could not do that. And when I began to say it, the woman looked at me with a death stare that still throws shivers down my spine to this day. You don't mess with other people's kids, right? Mama bear comes out. Jesus, the son of God, is going to church, and he saw that what they were doing was this. The house of God is supposed to be a house of prayer and a house of worship, a house of connecting with God. And what they were doing was people traveling from all over the Decapolis, the ten cities surrounding, and farther. And they couldn't bring their sacrifices with them because you couldn't travel with your sacrifices because it was too inconvenient. So you get to Jerusalem, and you go to the temple, and they would sell you sacrifices so that you could worship God. But they were, it was extortion. They were charging so much because they knew they had the people trapped. They had to have a sacrifice, but... but they, they couldn't bring it with them, so they were, were, were gouging them. They were profiting off of religion. Hmm. I wonder if we've heard that before. Like what Mark says, we married him for his money. You see, this is where we get in trouble with the American dream. The American dream is not the gospel. The pursuit of life, uh, liberty, and happiness God loves life, liberty, and happiness. That's what he created us for. But we're not supposed to pursue those things. We're supposed to pursue him, and then he adds all those things to us. It's a complete reversal. It's an upside-down system. When you're in a place of power and position, like business or government or education or politics or church... If you're in a place of power and position and influence and we don't walk with God, we will resort to manipulation, greed, control, fear, doggy dog mentality. But when you walk with God, whatever position you're in, whether it's parenting or pastoring or an employer, an employee, any form of leadership where you have some kind of influence or power, you recognize that God is the source of your promotion, your position, and your possessions. And they are for His divine purposes, which is to represent Jesus to the world. And to be a conduit of blessings for everyone around you. God told Abraham, I'm going to make you so rich you will not even believe it. And he was the richest man in the land. And he said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, position, power, possessions, so that you can be a blessing. That's the purpose of God. It's not get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. That's not the purpose in life. And look, God is not against prosperity. The Bible says, remember that it is God who gives you the power to get wealth. 
so that he may establish his covenant promises to you. He just says, but when you are fat and full and you're blessed, don't forget him. That's the problem with wealth. Wealth itself is not evil. The heart of man is evil. Money is just, God put the gold and the silver and the onyx stone. He put them in the garden. God's the one that put everything in the earth that's in the earth. And he says, God has given us all things richly to enjoy. The Bible says the blessing of God makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. But the book of 2 Timothy says, if you pursue riches, you will pierce your own heart through with many sorrows. You see, greed and covetousness is the issue, not money itself. So we are to pursue God, whether it's in business, whether it's in politics, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in church life, we pursue him and then he pours his wisdom and his prosperity through us. I learned this when I was a businessman before I was a pastor. I was so broke I couldn't pay attention. And, but my, and God, that was a good one, by the way. I was so broke I couldn't pay attention. Did that just go over your head? Huh? We got new people in the church. They never heard it. And, and, and God, God told me to start tithing when I had no money, but I did it anyway. And, he, and as soon as I got the next buck, I gave him a dime. And that's when it began. And then we have an amazing testimony of how God prospered us. And then one weekend, I was a top salesman in the nation, and I did not make one sale all weekend long. I got to work. I put a little extra offering on Sunday morning at church because Friday night was bad. Saturday was bad. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to church and give a little extra offering. And then I'll go to church, and God's going to prosper me. Nothing. We were about to close, and I said to the Lord, I'm a, the, the, every contract I sign between here and closing, I'm going to give it to the kingdom of God. We could not shut the doors. It was unbelievable. People pouring into our office, and I could have just said, I hate you, and they would have signed the contract. It was crazy. And God said to me, I taught you how to prosper. Now I've taught you what the prosperity is for. Jesus said in this very passage, back in John chapter 2, when it, Jesus cleaned the, cleansed the temple twice. I don't know if you know that or not, but he cleared the temple twice. The first time was here at the beginning of his ministry. The second time was at the end of his ministry. So Jesus bookended his ministry with what my church is really supposed to look like. And he didn't say it this time, but what he said the second time he cleansed the temple was... My father's house will be called a house of a house of prayer. That means you and you're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. Jesus said, I'll tear this building down. You tear it down. I'll build it up in three days. He was talking about his physical body be raised because relationship with God is not relationship with the religion. It's relationship with the son of God himself. I was telling my, the guy that cut my hair yesterday, I was telling her the same thing. She was, she was just afraid to go back to church because she was raised in a religious system. And I said, look, this is between you and Jesus. No priest, no pastor, no church, nothing. Just you and Jesus. I said, you can go back there in the back when I leave. You can go in your car. Ask Jesus into your heart. He will forgive you of your sins immediately. He will breathe his spirit into you and you will have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you come to church to be with a company of Christians who are unashamed of Jesus and encourage one another and pray for one another and prophesy over one another. That's what church is for. 
And she just starts crying right there. She goes, you can't make me cry. I'm cutting your hair. She says, I was crying. But it was because all she knew was religion, which is filled with fear and shame and intimidation. And so Jesus says this house is to be a house of prayer. When I was on my prayer retreat over the summer, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the prayer level at the gathering place needs to increase. If you want to see more salvations, healings, deliverance, breakthrough, greater peace, deeper joy, reconciled relationships, it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way you get more Holy Spirit in your life is by more prayer. My roommate one time said to me, you pray so much, it convicts me. I said, no, no, you need to know why I pray so much. It's not because I'm so holy. It's because I have such a propensity to be unholy. If you are not a praying Christian, you're battling the temptation of sin in your own willpower. You're going to be like McGregor when, uh, when, when Mayweather knocks him out. And you'll be laying on the canvas wondering what happened. You, and, and look, we are called to be like Jesus Christ. How successful do you think you're going to be being like Jesus? You know the bracelet? What would Jesus do? I'm like, well, I know what he would do, but I don't think I stand a chance. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son of God, who's breathed into our souls and prayer fills you up with the Holy Spirit. Prayer fills your family with the Holy Spirit. Prayer fills your church with the Holy Spirit. Prayer fills the earth with the Holy Spirit. And that's what brings the kingdom of God. Every revival ever in the history of the world began with prayer. You can read every revival and you'll find there was somebody praying. There was one people, two people, a small group of people that have created every revival. So next Sunday night, I've rented out the youth building, which is a nice venue at New Hope Church. And we are going to have a two-hour praise and prayer blowout next Sunday night. I'm asking everybody, all of you who love the Gathering Place Church, call the Gathering Place Church your home. Or just want to get up in God's presence. Josh is going to be leading worship. And we are going to pray. Last Sunday, if you were not here... Something very prophetic happened. And this is going to, I believe this is going to significantly transform your life as well as our church. God told Pastor Mark, who is a prophet, the gift, the office of a prophet, told him to bring a sword. I can't tell you the whole story. You, you can listen to last week's sermon and Mark told the whole story. It's an actual physical English broadsword. It's in my house now. It was used years ago in another church prophetically to, to break things open in their church. It's a representation of your authority, your spiritual authority. And God told him to give it to me for my family because we've been dealing with lots of affliction, disease, and, and trauma. And so, and, but, but it's for our church. It's for the families of our church. God is telling you and I to pick up your spiritual swords. Now, he wouldn't tell us to do that if it wasn't necessary. Right now, God is telling us to pick up our spiritual swords. So I've been praying about this all week long. And what came to me 
is real simple. The Bible says, here's a revelation. Well, God gave the Apostle Paul a revelation about spiritual warfare. He said, we are not wrestling against your boss. You're not wrestling against your spouse. You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against principalities, power, spiritual hopes of wickedness in the heavenly places. And he said, so put on the full armor of God. And right toward the end of the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, he says, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. So in your bulletins this morning is a half sheet. I did a word study for you this week. And I, created, and I pulled out some scriptures over different areas for your life. First of all, on one side, the scriptures of who you are in Christ. This is where you must begin, family of God, sons and daughters of God. Start with your identity in Christ. Do you remember when the seven sons of Sceva in the Bible, there's seven sons of a priest that tried to cast the demon out? Of some man, and he said, We cast you out in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demon said, Well, we know who Jesus is, and we know who Paul is, but we don't know who you are. And the demon beat him up, and they ran through town naked. Now, you don't want to be running through San Diego naked. So, you need to get into these scriptures, memorize these scriptures, meditate them, think about them, about who you are in Christ Jesus. Because, look, here's the truth if you're in Christ, every demon has to do what you say. You have the same authority that Jesus does. But if you don't know it, they'll know that you don't know it. And they will intimidate you and scare you and cause you to cower. But when you know who you are in Christ Jesus, you will, not, you will never be afraid of a demon again. Ever. When you know who you are in Christ. So that's why this whole front sheet is who you are in Christ. Scriptures. On the back sheet, I put scriptures of healing, provision, authority, protection, and provision and promises for your children. I'm going to ask this week that you pray over these, that you memorize many of these scriptures, that you think about them. I'm going to ask you to fast this week, headed up to next Sunday night. And I want us to explode on the scene next Sunday night at New Hope Church and their youth buildings right there, right at the parking lot. You can't miss it. And I want us to go in there and I want us to just go vertical and just worship God. And then I want us to get into prayer for your marriages, for your kids, for your grandkids, for wayward children, for breaking the back of sickness and disease in our church. Churches are supposed to be outposts of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, as it is in heaven, not as it will be, as it is in heaven, so be it in the earth. Where should that be more prevalent than in churches where the body of Christ comes together in his name? And he says, we're two or more gathered in my name. I'm right there. Remember what he did when he went into the temple? He cleared it the second time he went in, cleared it of all the money changers because they came back after he did it the first time. Religion just keeps coming back around. So he cleared, cleared it again. The next thing that happened, it says they brought all the sick to him and he healed the sick. That's the kingdom of God. That's our Jesus. That should be the reputation of every church on the planet. If you need healing, go to the church. They'll pray for you and they, you will get healed, saved, delivered, set free. But we have to contend for it. God right now is saying, raise your swords. So I want us to raise our swords together at the gathering place, church. The last point of this passage, which I can't get to, was this last little piece. And I'll just say it so we can cap off John chapter 2. And then I want us to pray together and then we will... We will go. But I want you this week 
I want you to get serious about this with me because I think the point of the spear is right at the point of breakthrough. I really believe that. I want you to write down the things you want to believe God for. Forget about disappointment. Look, you're going to be disappointed in life, but you can't quit. or You'll be like the Chargers and you'll never win a game again. That's a good tie-in. Unanswered prayer is unanswered prayer. But if you don't get up and keep swinging, do you know that Babe Ruth struck out more than any baseball batter in history? Babe Ruth struck out more than every batter in history. He also hit more home runs up to one point than anybody in history. You can't stop praying and believing for things just because you lost the battle. This is a war. And we fight until we see him face to face. And more people are going to get healed. More people are going to get saved. More people are going to get set free because we are a praying church. So this week, I want you to write down the things you're believing God for. I pray for fresh faith to enter your heart and your mind all over again. I want you to write down sicknesses and chronic sicknesses and diseases that you've been struggling with. And I want you to bring them next Sunday night. And let's pray for some kingdom things to really happen. The last piece in this scripture, in this passage, was when they came to make him king because he was doing all these miracles. And he said he wouldn't submit himself to them because he knew what was in man. This is my last point. Be about the praise of God in your life, not the praise of people. You will never be able to do the will of God if you're worried about what people are going to think about you. You'll live a crippled Christian your entire life worrying about your reputation and what people are going to think. You, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to disappoint some people. You will be tested over and over whether you're going to follow Jesus or the expectations and opinions of those around you. And every time you obey Jesus instead of man, you get that much more free. Until all you care about is what Jesus wants. And as we started this message, do what he tells you to do. That is pure freedom. Let's pray. Yeah. Everybody? Okay. Okay. Uh, Mark is saying to write down everything on an 8 by 10 that you want prayer for. Um, and bring it. You can also send it to info, I-N-F-O, at gatheringplacechurch.org uh, so we can accumulate this. Uh, you may or may not have been to last week. You may or may not know this. But I'm going to tell you how serious Jesus is about this. And then we're going to pray and I'm going to release everybody. A number of years ago, I was in prayer and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, write down every chronic illness and disease in the Gathering Place Church. I felt his shepherding heart saying, I, I, want, I want my people healed. That's what he died for, by the way, our sins and our sicknesses and diseases. It's very clear in the scriptures. Just because your experience is different than that doesn't change the scriptures and it doesn't change the cross. We just keep contending for the kingdom. We don't give up. Keep fighting for it. 
I came to the elders team and I was about to say that what Jesus told me to do. And Gary, who was an elder at the time, said, I'd like to say something before we start the meeting. Jesus spoke to me this week and said, we're supposed to write down every chronic illness and disease in the gathering place church. Out of the mouth of every two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Jesus wants us healed. He also wants you saved. You may be here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You have heard a whole bunch of the gospel this morning. Jesus Christ knows you. He knows you by name. He created you, but you're separated from him because of your sins. But he can take care of that this morning. If you will just give your life to Jesus Christ this morning, turn your life over to him. Say, I'm yours. The first thing that will happen is he will completely forgive you of every sin, every mistake, everything you've ever done that falls short of God. And then he will breathe his spirit into you and you will feel the peace of Jesus Christ, a peace you've never known before, a peace you can't get from drugs, you can't get from a vacation, you can't get from anything because it's supernatural and it's from Jesus and Jesus alone. He reserves the right to give that to you. So I'm going to come down front there after I pray a closing prayer. And I'm going to be down for anybody who wants to come down and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'm going to pray with you. I'm also going to call the prayer teams down. and They're going to be down and ready to pray with you in agreement for, for all sorts of healings, salvation, infilling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're one of those water pots that are dry. Come down here. They're going to lay hands on you and pray, and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. Jesus, thank you so much for the power in your house. We thank you that you are a God of salvation, healing, and deliverance. We love you in this house. We love one another. And we ask that you increase the supernatural manifestations of your presence and your power and your love in this house. And next Sunday night, Jesus, we pray and expect some amazing things to happen. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.